0: Hey guys, the message you're about to listen to is actually one of two sessions that I delivered live to a local mom's group here in my hometown. So if you would like to hear the other message after listening to this one, it's actually the next podcast episode, episode seven. And they are kind of connected, but you can certainly listen to them both separately and still get a lot of value out of them. This is a pretty easy gig. Realistically, we've got a bunch of moms who probably need a break. Like, I could probably just say, "Hey, you know what? Let's just talk and eat food for the next two hours," and you'd be like, "Okay, that'll be good too." <laughs> so I'm thankful because it's been a while since I've spoken in front of a live studio audience. I have, you know, three kids. My husband Andy and I have been married for 20—it'll 20, be 24 years in November. Um, we met in seventh grade. He was giving a kid a wedgie at the water fountain when I met him because he's a seventh-grade boy but we didn't date until we we're 20. So I'm 46 and we have three kids. Lucy is 19. And so she's kind of like making her way out of the house. Eve is 14. She was adopted from China four years ago. So she was nine when we adopted her. And Jack is 13. He's biological and he's, he's like eight boys in one. In my opinion, the young kids, having little kids is a lot like having a puppy. Um, I think you're just trying to get them to not, like just go poop in the right place and just sleep, please, and stop chewing on me, (laughs) right? It's kind of like having babies and puppies, but I think having teenagers is like having a cat. So, you know, once once Lucy started, you know, being a teenager, she turned into a cat. It was kind of this thing where she would kind of come into the room and you're just like, where are we at today? Where are we at? And she comes over and like, you know, a cat, our, our cat anyway, Steve is his name, when Steve comes, and lays across her lap. When he lays on her lap. You're just kind of like, huh, this is a good thing. Steve's letting me be with him. She just kind of like freeze and lets the cat thing happen. It's kind of like, I think it is with the teenager. Lucy's been, she's great, she's a great kid. They're all great kids, but you kind of just like, when things are going good, you're like, okay. just hold your breath for a minute because things are going, (laughs) we know what's happening. This is great. And then, you know, the cat, you'll be petting the cat. And all of a sudden you hit that invisible kill button that nobody knows where it is on a cat, but the cat knows where it is, and it changes every time you pet the cat. The president all of a sudden is like, ah, and the cat just attacks you, and you're like, oh, we're done being nice now. It's okay. We could do your thing. I have been a lot of different types of moms for my short life. Uh, the mom of a son, the mom of a daughter, a public school mom, a private school mom, a homeschool mom, a hippie school mom. Uh, A cyber school mom, an adoptive mom, an internationally adoptive mom, an older child adoptive mom, mom of a child with physical special needs, mom of a child with psychological special needs, mom of a child with emotional special needs, a stay at home mom, a working outside of the home mom, a traveling working mom, a working from home mom, (laughs) an entrepreneur mom, an adult child mom now, Mom of a high honors child. Mom of a child who takes special education classes. Mom of a child who could ace everything but doesn't really care. Mom who's experienced miscarriage. Mom of an athlete. Mom of an artist. Mom of a musician. Mom of a verbal processor. Mom of a quiet processor. Mom in poverty. Mom in wealth. Mom who chooses gentleness. Mom who chooses the immediate release that comes with rage. Joyful mom, depressed mom, peaceful mom, anxiety-ridden mom. Mom who draws their child close. Mom who pushes their child far, far away. Mom who stays. Mom who runs. Spineless mom, warrior mother. I've been a lot of different types of moms. And I love the type of mom that you are. I love the type of mom you are. I have struggled as a mom. <laughs> I remember once when Jack was little. So he was so little, he was using like the purple stool that you know you had to stand on to get to the sink, to, to reach the sink to wash your hands. So that's how old he was. He was just little or we lived at our old house and he's washing his hands. And I said, Jack? I was watching him. And you know, he's was washing his hands like this, like it's just on his fingertips. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, so he's at his fingertips. I was like, Jack, you know, you need to wash your whole hand. So he's like, you know, up to here, washing his hands. So this starts to build. Jack, you wash your whole hand. You know, Jack. So I was trying to be like practical. Oh, he doesn't understand what whole hand means. Jack, get your wrists wet, right? So he's like, not doing it, just not doing it. I'm like, Jack get your wrists wet and my pole starts getting a little higher, getting a little hot under the collar. Still not doing it. Jack, get your wrists wet. And then I grab his hands like Jack, get your wrists wet. Still not. He's just pulling them out. I go out into the hallway where I can see him and I'm filled with rage, just filled with rage. And this is what I do. I had to bend over to get my voice out. I was so mad. Jack, get your wrists (laughs) wet! And he was just like, (laughs) because he thought his mom was actually Satan, all right? He was like, Satan's in my house screaming at me about wrists. And he just like freezes. And I grab him way too hard. I pick him up way too hard. I take him into his room way too fast, slam him into a chair way too hard. He is sobbing. He's terrified. I'm crying because I'm mad. I go, I leave his door, our door, old house had like these really heavy wooden doors. They like actually made a point when you slammed them. I slammed it like, boom! And I stood outside his door. And for whatever reason, in that moment, the Holy Spirit was allowed to talk to me. Like I was actually able to hear him. And this is what the Holy Spirit says it. Jack doesn't know what a wrist is. So I go in, Jack's sobbing. Jack, do you know what a wrist is? And he's like, no, I don't know what a wrist is. You know, he doesn't remember that story, thank God. But coming face to face with our own imperfection is deeply humbling, right? Could any of you relate to that building rage that I shared? Yeah. It, and it didn't, like I tell you now, I'm like, why in the world did I get that mad over that? It just didn't matter, you know? Like, maybe Janet asked me to know what her wrist is, you know? But I just seemed he's being rebellious. In my head, I immediately go to the worst case scenario with my kids, immediately. This is, this is how it's always gonna be. Jack is never gonna wash his hands right. Like, <laughs> which might be true. <laughs> but, <laughs> or Jack is never gonna listen to me. Or whatever it might be, I just I go right to the never word like, it's just never gonna change. This is how he's always gonna be. This is how it's always gonna be. It's never gonna change. He's never gonna mature. He's never gonna, whatever. Da, 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 da. Or, I'm never gonna change. I'm always gonna be this way. I'm gonna go zero to 50. That's actually not that fast. Zero to 100. <laughs> Real fast. <laughs> zero to 25. <laughs> <Eee>. um, <laughs> this is the problem. If guilt was a person sitting in the corner of your life yelling things at you, so imagine that, right? Imagine guilt's a person sitting in the corner of the room, and this is what guilt is saying. You're not perfect. You don't have those together. But guilt would be taking that you're not perfect message to an ungodly, unbearable level. And that is a crushing weight if we don't know how to combat it and be victorious over it. That is the twisting anxiety. That is the heavy depression. That is the secret battle. That is the chain that tethers us to a lack of freedom in our role as moms, or at least a chain that tethers us to a lack of freedom. Let's talk about ourselves a little bit. There's a conflict within us between the spirit and the flesh. It's true, I can prove it to you because it says it in the Bible. Hang on, I got this new Bible and I love it, but I'm, it's like doubles is like a storm shelter. This is so big. <laughs> So Romans 7, there's this, there's this passage that Paul talks about that we, like, when you read it out loud and, and fast, it's actually kind of funny. It's like, what? What are you saying? But I won't read it fast. <laughs> He's talking about the problem of sin in us. So problem, uh, Romans 7, 15, through the end of the chapter, If you can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. He says, for I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law, that it is good, so now I'm no longer the one doing it, but is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't wanna do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me for in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this death? And he gives the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I am myself and serving the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. And then I wish we'd get rid of the number eight at the end of that chapter that goes into Romans 8 because they're super connected. Because it goes, Romans 8 starts with, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And we keep going on, verse 6, now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Paul's like, I mean, I know it sounds like like what I want to do, I can't do, what I can't do, I can't do, and whatever, (laughs) I want to do, I want to do it, do it, do it. And he's talking about this battle within him. I think in that moment when I'm screaming like the devil at my son, there's part of me that hated what I was doing. Can, can you relate to that? Like it happens and you're like, I hate who I am right now. I hate this. But then afterwards you feel what guilt and shame, right? Because suddenly the spirit's like, Hey, that wasn't cool, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, you're like, oh, I'm clear headed now. And (laughs) like, it feels good now, but I hate myself later. It feels like the right thing to do now. That release that comes with rage is satisfying in the moment, which is, you know, it's kind of like a hit almost. Like, if I let this go, I'm going to feel so much better. But then afterwards, the shame that comes with it can be just unbearable. And Paul's talking about this, like things I want to do, I can't, because there's a battle within us. Galatians 5, 16 through 17. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want to do. So we have the flesh, we have the Spirit in us. They're in conflict with each other. And the problem with guilt is this. Guilt can only focus on the flesh. It only tells us partial truth. It only presents the hopelessness of the flesh. It's our job to engage the spirit. Guilt tells us something that's partially true. I was talking to a friend the other day, and that friend said, I I just always wonder, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? And guilt would come in and say, you're not doing enough. And you know what? That's partially true, right? Can we ever do enough? No we're not the Holy Spirit. It's true. You can't do enough. So yeah, guilt, thank you for that bit of truth. That's true. But guilt takes it to the next level. They're going to be so screwed up because of you. If you don't feed them all organic food, they're going to die at the age of 18. Or (laughs) if you don't teach them how how to run a mile, then they're gonna be physically unable to do things and they're gonna not be able to do whatever. Like, like all the things, right? If you don't teach them how to watercolor, then they're never gonna be cool. Or if you don't teach them this or they don't know that, you're, you're it just guilt takes it to this extreme level, way beyond truth into what the Romans 7, 8 say about the mindset of the flesh, it's death. That's where it takes us, it takes us to death. When you're looking at your kid or yourself and and the guilt and you take it to that level of like the never words this will never change or my kid will always be this way or i am producing like horrible things in my children and they're never going to be okay because of me we're agreeing with the flesh to a really big degree (laughs) we're agreeing with hopelessness but the mindset of the spirit is two things life and peace life and peace. Guilt has to speak at least some truth or he wouldn't listen to it. The enemy has been taking truth and twisting it just enough to make it palatable since the beginning. If he came with an outright outrageous thing, if he came out with like, Janet, if you make your kids drink unorganic milk, they're going to grow five legs, it would be like, that's absurd. Like I would never even listen to something like that. But (laughs) Janet, (laughs) if you, you know, yell at your kid that way, They're never gonna learn how to trust women. There's, oh, there's, there's a degree of, there's something in there that resonates. So it gets our attention, right? So here's what we do. Let the spirit use the guilt to remind you that you need him. I'm not saying that guilt's like our best friend, but there's some truth in it that we can actually listen to. The reminder that we are not perfect. The spirit can use guilt as a tool to remind us of how weak we are. But you have to engage the spirit in order for that to happen. Otherwise, we just listen to guilt and we feel awful all the time, just all the time. Or it's like always just right there, just almost like guilt standing there with an appetizer tray. No matter where you are, like if you're at a party and someone's walking around with appetizers, that's, that's kind of what ends up being. And if we just keep eating what guilt's giving us and we never engage the spirit, then we end up being just in such trouble for ourselves and for the world. Um, Admitting our weakness is powerful and an open door to letting God's strength be high and lifted up. Don't let the enemy use the guilt to condemn you for being weak without God. We're all weak without God. We're all weak without him. And I think a lot of times, you know, there's there's definitely transparency stuff going on in our culture and stuff, like people are getting more transparent and, and that's fine. But just saying I am weak is not enough. That's not gonna take us to a mindset of life and peace. That's just admitting our weakness. That's not enough. We have to engage the spirit. We have to engage God's truth in it or it just ends there with I am weak. We have to take it to, okay, and this is what we're gonna talk about, how we do that. We have to take it beyond into the things of the spirit. So what does this look like practically? Here's an example. Guilt says, you can't be a stay at home mom. You are not equipped. Why did you think you can handle motherhood like other women do. Does this sound familiar to anybody, any of this, around any circumstance? Instead of saying, I can't do this, and just going into this downward spiral of I can't, I can't, I can't, this is what you do, you know what? Guilt. <laughs> You're right. I am so weak. I am so weak. I am, and I am myself, so ill-equipped to be a stay-at-home mom or to be a working mom or to be an adoptive mom, or whatever. Like Paul, I feel the conflict between the flesh and the spirit inside of me. I cannot be a stay-at-home mom without the spirit. If I continue in the flesh, I will miss out on the abundant life God has for me. It's not just about your kids. In the flesh, I will, and do, screw it up. Holy Spirit, thank you that you dwell in me. Now I need your help to change my mindset, to be focused on life and peace because of the redemptive power of Jesus' death and resurrection. When guilt comes along, it's like, hey, hey you, you're weak. You say, yep, I sure am. God, thank you. Thank you for my weakness, because it reminds me of how desperate I am for your strength. Thank you for reminding me that this body will die and waste away because your spirit is life and peace. But that's what we do. We, we like acknowledge the truth that we are weak, and then we have to, have to, have to engage the spirit. We have to, because if we don't, we are paralyzed in our weakness. We are paralyzed, you know what? That's no good, and if you're so paralyzed by your weakness, your purpose has a real hard time getting itself out there to be made known. And the hold of mom guilt on us is unacceptable in Jesus' name. Acknowledge your weakness and engage the spirit. And you must resist the devil. James 4, 7 talks about resist the devil, he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil. You must resist him with God's truth so he can't use the guilt as a tool to condemn you. What does that look like for you? write it down pray it out write it on your hand speak it out loud call for prayer backup but here's what is not going to work to engage the spirit scrolling instagram for a beautifully well-crafted thing that tells you you're enough is not engaging the spirit yeah, it's giving you a hit and that feels good and sometimes it can help get our head into the, to the right direction but no i'm talking about god's word god's truth God's truth in his word. And if you're not familiar with his word, that's fine. We've got Google. It's great. <laughs> you have friends who are maybe more knowledgeable of the word. Ask them to help you find scriptures that you can engage the spirit of truth through God's word. Scrolling and finding something that makes you feel good in the minute is not enough. It's not enough. Acknowledging the reality of your flesh and engaging the truth and power of the spirit is where we're at, I think and overcoming mom guilt. Guilt, thank you for reminding me that I am weak. Holy Spirit, thank you that I am weak. Thank you for my weaknesses. Paul talks about that, that whole thorn in the flesh thing. He's kind of going on like, I've got this thorn in my flesh, and he actually lands in this place of, I am grateful, I glory in my weaknesses. I'm stoked about my weaknesses, because when I'm weak, Guess whose strength shows up the most? It's like our weakness is a magnifying glass on God's strength, but if we don't engage the Spirit, the magnifying glass is like in the junk drawer. But if we acknowledge our weakness and we engage the Spirit, then we're able to see His strength show up. Here's the tricky thing you have to trust the power of the Spirit in these things, even and especially when you don't feel it. That is when the rubber meets the road. God's Word and God's power and God's truth, doesn't, they don't change based on your emotions. So you have to believe when you're proclaiming this truth, you're engaging the Spirit, even if you don't feel it, you're like, oh, that didn't make me feel good like the Instagram post did. That's, that's a lie from the enemy, If to think that one is more powerful because it makes you feel something. God's power doesn't change based on your emotions. So that's the tricky thing when you start engaging the Spirit and you're speaking truth of yourself, God's truth, and you're praying, you're worshiping, whatever you're doing, you have to believe that God's word has power. It's alive, it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword piercing to the bone and the marrow. You have to believe that even and especially when you don't feel it. So even if you're like, have to do a choose to believe statement in front of it. Dear God, I thank you that I'm weak. I choose to believe that it is true that man's looking at my outward appearance, but the Lord, you you see my heart. I choose to believe that's true, even though I don't really feel that right now. I choose to believe I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I choose to believe that I can look at the future and laugh because your word says I can because of my faith in you. I choose to believe this truth, and I'm going to keep moving forward and not hang out with guilt anymore about this. So basically, guilt's walking around with the appetizer tray, and you're like, thank you, and you just knock the tray out of its hands. Moms aren't perfect. My mom wasn't perfect, and neither am I. Your mom wasn't perfect, and neither are you. I picture my mom's dresser all lined up. Perfume bottles, spare change, little trinkets that, you know, because she, I'm the youngest of five, so there's all kinds of crap on her dresser that we made her. Um, <laughs> we're like, oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for this painted statue of E.T. And along with all the other things, there's cups all along her dresser. The cups have different labels. Patience, joy, creativity, courage, relaxation, good work ethic, connection. Some of the cups are empty because they were things she was able to freely give me. But some of the cups were still full because she couldn't lift those cups to my lips. Can you look at your own dresser? I see cups there, some full, some empty. Guilt makes us focus on the full cups that we haven't been able to lift up and give to our kids. None of us have been given all the cups, and none of us can give all the cups. So, when mom guilt comes along and points out your inadequacies, you can answer with a yep, and then you can follow up with God's truth, like Paul, who said, I will boast gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And as you told Paul, God, your grace is sufficient for me, and your power is made perfect in weakness. So, for the sake of Christ, I am content with my weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong." And your kids can say the same thing. They have to know it's okay to have weaknesses. They have to know apologies are necessary. They have to know that moms aren't allowed to do whatever they want. They have to know about God's grace in the midst of our weaknesses and sin. Your daughters and your sons, my daughters and my son, they have to know that mothers are not all sufficient. But if we're constantly obsessing over the cups that are full sitting on our dresser that we just don't feel like we're able to give or just like knocking ourselves down all the time because of all of our weaknesses, if they see us constantly living that life, they're going to get the message that I have to be all sufficient. But none of us are. I would disagree. When someone says, motherhood's the most important job in the world, no <laughs> what does that say to dads then like what is that even what is that i don't see that anywhere in the bible nurturing those god puts into our care but man motherhood is the most important job in the world let's throw that off our backs first of all and let's pick up the fact that we are weak that we can't give our kids everything they need that's not how it's supposed to work if i could give my daughter eve everything she needs then my daughter wouldn't need Anne's daughter, who loves her so well as a friend, right? You have to believe God's grace and love will be there for your kids as they grow and learn. You are not the ultimate and only source of all the good they will ever experience. That's part of the myth of motherhood, that she is all-sufficient. Standing in a place of all-sufficiency is pretty prideful suddenly we're like, oh, I'm supposed to be God. Well, that's not a good place to be. (laughs) We're not all sufficient. Guilt only tells us part of the story. Guilt only tells us that we're weak. And that's true. That's so true. We have to get serious and busy about engaging God's truth and engaging the spirit because the spirit and the flesh are in conflict with each other inside of us. I wrote on my phone a couple weeks ago this sentence just in my notes. I am imagining every mom in Center County set totally free from mom guilt. That's what I'm praying for. Can you imagine if today we're all set free from it and we can just freely mother and freely do what we need to do. Mom guilt is just like, you know, like I said, the person with the appetizers and you knock over the tray once in a while out of their hands and we are able to walk forward. in in being thankful for our weaknesses and thankful for each other's weaknesses. Isn't it crazy how we can like focus on our own weaknesses but obsess over other moms' strengths? Why can't we obsess over our own strengths? I do some things really well. This morning, my husband and daughter and mother-in-law went to an auction. My son was still sleeping. It's a glorious time of life, by the way. You can just leave your kids at home and they're fine. and I wrote Jack a note, it was supposed to be like, feed the dogs, because that's what we gotta do. The dogs will die if he doesn't feed them. Um, I, I, you know, For me, what I did, I wrote out a morning Mad Lib for him. I wrote out this thing, like this, like Jack woke up and had a, you know, like all the different things, and like had him fill the morning Mad Lib. I know none of you would ever think of doing that for your kids, but I don't care. That's me, that's what I do, that's a strength I have. Creativity is a strength I have, that I give my kids freely. Some of you may get up and, like, make breakfast for your kids. I never do. (laughs) It's not a strength I have, and they'll be fine. (laughs) But instead of sitting there and being like, oh, man, I wish I wrote Mad Libs for my kids. (laughs) Right? It seems absurd. So we don't need to obsess over our own weaknesses and obsess over other people's strengths. Acknowledge that there are empty cups on your dresser. You all have empty cups, Cups you freely give to your kids all the time that other moms don't give. And that's the beauty of our differences and the beauty of the body of Christ. Because the things where I fall short with my kids, the body of Christ comes in and the Holy Spirit comes in and meets those needs. Imagine a future for your kids that is full of God's grace and love. I'm going to say some sentences out loud about what mom guilt maybe has said to some of us. And this is what I want you to do as I'm saying it. Because I want you to imagine, it is, it is somebody else saying it, but I want to imagine I was sitting across the table from you saying these sentences one by one. And I want you to think about it like this. Are you willing to extend the same amount of truth and Holy Spirit-filled compassion to yourself that you would to me if I was saying these things across from you? or? Is God's grace and compassion only good enough for everyone else but not to extend to yourself? So let's just pretend I'm sitting across the table saying these things and just notice your reaction. I'm not doing enough. What would you say to your friend? What would you say to me? But what would you say to yourself when that comes up? I'm not feeding my kids enough healthy food. What would you say to me? And what would you say to yourself if you're saying that over yourself? My kids get in the way of what I want to do, so I'm entirely ineffective and unimportant. What would you say to me? Holy Spirit, truth, and compassion. Is it the same thing you would say to yourself when you feel that? My kids hate me and will always hate me. What would you say to me, as opposed to what you would say to yourself when you're feeling that your kids might always hate you? I don't deserve my kids. I'm way too controlling. Would you put shame on me if I said that? like you would yourself my anger outbursts will damage my kids forever what would you say to me and what would you say to yourself because they should be the same things holy spirit truth God's truth God's truth guilt yeah it's a reality but guess what we don't have to live under the weight of it acknowledge the truth of what guilt is saying because there's some truth in it always there's something about it that's saying you're not enough. And engage the spirit through his word, through actual truths coming from his word, not just something that makes you feel good for a moment on Instagram. You Know what I mean? I've heard it said you become most intimate with a person who gets the first fruits of your emotion, kind of like the tithe of your emotion. If you are constantly running to a friend or to Instagram when you are feeling the weight of that guilt—not that any of that's bad—I'm not saying Instagram is the devil. I totally love Instagram. Follow me; it's fun. Um, but, but you'll grow more intimate with Instagram and your friend, and more dependent upon those things than you will on God's word and God's truth and the Holy Spirit. So, if you take the first part of your emotions and tie them to the Lord, the first fruit of that guilt and that shame and tithe it to God, you'll become more intimate with him, which is the whole goal and actually will sustain you and help your mindset be set on life and peace.